This is Up for Debate presents Scary Movies to Watch in the Dark. Tonight, episode number 163, recorded October 30th, 2019. Chapter 2, Friday the 13th. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this spooky, scary edition of Up for Debate Presents. I am Sean Jennings, joined, as always, by everyone's favorite camp counselor. It's Bat Scariani. Whoa, I want to creepify your name, too. We tried Let's on see. we tried on Don't Panic on Monday, and it did not go great. So I would love to hear what you come up with. Because um, sh- Sean is easy. Because you could do, like, you, Scream or... That Scariani is awesome. Oh, my favorite That's was... Like the, that is the coolest Halloween-sounding name I have uh, ever heard. Uh, uh, I still think my favorite is Goolby Rabid Dog. No. I like that. I like that. Bat Scariani. Okay, I, think, I think the fans will, will like Bat Scariani. Will you, will you call yourself that at work tomorrow? Um, If the opportunity presents itself, sure. Just for today, I'm Bat Scariani. <laughs> Maybe not... Was that the Monster Mash voice? That was like that sounded like the the guy from that sings the Monster Mash. Bobby what is Pickett? his name? Bobby Pickett in the Crypt Keeper Five. That's right. We we he was best our best novelty song of all best, time, as determined novelty. by us. That's right. That was we a great episode. Revisit that. Um. Uh, let's see. All right, I'll I'll I'll, I'll you think work about on it. That. You, you we'll introduce our around. show, and I will think about your your spooky Halloween. Movie. All right. Well, while you're thinking about that, Matt, as I mentioned, this is up for debate. Presents, and we are in the middle of a special series looking at the most iconic horror films of all time. Matt, we're not big horror movie guys. We've seen I've seen none of these. You've seen some of them. Um, so we're really getting into it for the first time in honor of Halloween. Uh, and last week, if you didn't check out the episode, we watched The Exorcist. I thought it was a really great episode. We both enjoyed that movie a lot. But we're moving forward in time all the way up to 1980 and the release of the iconic summer camp slasher film, Friday the 13th, directed by Seanus Cunningham, written by Victor Miller, and, st- uh, and starring Betsy Palmer, Adrian King, and of course, uh, Kevin Bacon is just there for some reason. Um... Uh, an, an interesting movie, 95 minutes in running time, made $60 million at the box office on a budget of half a million. So a wildly successful film at the time and well-regarded, uh, leading to... I. Why does the cat play with his loud toy as soon as we start doing the damn show? I, can you hear that? No, okay. I can't hear it. I can't he's hear he's it got all. a little catnip thing that goes... He just wants to be on the show. He just, I mean, Halloween is kind of... You know, Halloween is is kind of a like a cat holiday, but not he's not a black cat. No, so I think he's kind of just jealous, and he no, wants to he he just wants to be heard. He wants he, his voice to be out there. He's mad I'm talking to you and not him. Uh, a film that spawned ten sequels, as well as a crossover film in uh, Freddy versus Jason, and then a reboot as well. Um, just hugely successful. Uh, Matt, you watched this movie for the first time. Is that correct? Um, I did. I know that I had mentioned on last week's show. Um, I had I had kind of referenced it, but I was totally wrong. Apparently, I had I had I had seen another Friday the Thirteenth movie in the same franchise, but it was not the first one. I was totally wrong. It, it, from the very minute that the this one started, I was like, this is not the movie that I had watched before. So I was pleasantly surprised by uh, everything that happened uh, in the movie, and um, we'll have a have a good discussion about it hopefully 
I think so. Very different from its sequels, uh, to be honest, uh, and, and sort of a, a unique film in and of itself. Uh, I don't know where we want to start, Matt. Do we want to start with the history of the movie? Do we want to start with the movie itself? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Staunch Clemmings. That's the name I came up with. I don't know if that's a Halloween name. It, it sounds more like an old-time baseball player. Staunch Clemmings. Staunch Clemmings. Or maybe maybe a really old, like a 19th century Southern author. Staunch Clemmings. Or a judge. You could, that's like a justice. Judge Staunch Clemmings. Yes. That I would like, be like that. A, Nailed it. Yeah. It'd be like a historical judge from like Georgia. That is perfect. Staunch Clemmings. Justice Staunch is honorable. The uh, judge, Staunch Clemmings. Justice will be served. Um. Uh, so I think we should start by talking about the. Let's just let's get into the backstory of the of the yeah. movie. Let's talk about like uh, how it was made and and stuff like that. Then maybe we could progress into talking about the themes and and uh, just like we did with the Exorcist last week. So. Totally. Well, you know the the movie was uh, produced and directed by Sean S. Cunningham. Um, who had previously worked with Wes Craven on The Last House on the Left. Um, funny enough, the two previous film he has, films he had directed were both family movies, um, a ripoff of Bad News Bears called Here Comes the Tigers and a soccer movie called Manny's Orphans, which just does not sound good at all. Um, what genre was Manny's Orphans? It was a comedy. It was a comedy. It's uh, Manny coaches soccer for a fashionable school, but is relieved of duty because he's not a good match. He finds a job at a Catholic home for orphans where he forms a new soccer team with the help of one good player who turns out to be a girl. <laughs> Along the way, Manny has incurred a gambling debt. His creditors begin to lean on him and the boys find out they set up a soccer game and stake the outcome against Manny's debt. If they win, the debt will be forgiven. And I assume they win. Sounds right. Fantastically forgettable. Um, but, Jonas Cunningham had an idea, and that idea was, hey, you know those really successful Halloween movies? What if I just did that? Uh, and that's no joke, literally. Um, I watched a documentary uh, about the making of Friday the 13th, and in there, what I thought was interesting is uh, Sean Cunningham himself broke out what he specifically took from Halloween, uh, the steps of a good horror movie. Would you like to hear them? Yeah, let's hear them. Tell me if these sound familiar. Wait, let me see if I could guess the first one. Okay, uh, or at least one of them. The first one is um, make a sacrifice to the devil. No, but interestingly enough, a prior evil. You have to set up something that happened earlier okay. in the past. In this case, it was the uh, drowning of Jason and the killing of the two teens in 58. Um, Slap around a few of your actors. Is that one of them? <laughs> no, but you do have to have adolescents who cannot get help from an adult. That is an important piece. There's no one to bail them out. That is a pretty important trope. They're because, truly on their own. Yeah. And yeah. then, of course, the famous uh, make love get killed. Uh, the, the sexy people get killed first. He took all that from Halloween uh, and decided he was going to make his own movie, but he's not a writer. Uh, all he came up with was the title Friday the 13th. So I do love this story. To get... Um, he then partnered with uh, the screenwriter created a screenplay called A Long Night at Camp Blood. This was when they came up with the idea for the name Friday the 13th. However, there was nobody to fund the movie. So what they did was they bought an ad in Variety that said Friday the 13th would be the most terrifying film ever made. That's what the ad said. Now, there was no movie. They just had a script. 
And partly it was to get attention and partly it was to get the name out there because he was afraid someone else would steal the name Friday the 13th. So if he staked his claim and said Friday the 13th is the movie I'm making, no one else could use the name. Is that is that how movie copyright works? No, because you don't copyright it this way, but you at least have a court argument that – There doesn't seem to be any legal basis for doing that. Well, and there was even a movie before this called Friday the 13th, The Orphan, um, and they paid them off to to get the rights to the name. So I don't think this would have legally held up, but... No, because, like, you could tell me you're making a movie called uh, uh, Staunch Clemmings, or The the Revenge of Staunch Clemmings or something, and and I could still be like, that's great, but if, if I make that movie first, I mean, at least that's my understanding of how copyright works. Yeah, it's not a thing. Um, and so, yeah, it it ended up, um, garnering some attention. They got the funding to make the movie and they made the movie. They shot it, uh, at a Boy Scout camp in Hardwick, New Jersey, Camp Nobi Bosco, which stands for, um, North Bergen Boy Scouts. Hmm. Um, and it still is around, by the way, it's still a real summer camp you can actually visit. Yeah, actually just last year, I, I looked this up. Uh, when I was I was doing some research just last year, they they opened a uh, an attraction in the in the camp that 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 go, you can like actually tour like some scenes from the movie where they filmed and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they didn't cast really anybody of note in the movie. Uh, it was all no essentially no name actors. Um, really the only one who had a career before this was, uh, the, uh, incredible Betsy Palmer who played Mrs. Voorhees, who had mostly a, uh, stage type of, of career, um, prior to that. Did you hear the great story about why she did the movie? Um, no, I did not. Betsy Palmer. Uh, Why did she do the movie? And Betsy Palmer tells the story herself in the documentary. She says, uh, you know, she wasn't really doing a lot of acting at the time, uh, and she had an old Mercedes she had had for a long time and decided she was going to buy a new car. So she went out, shopped around, and decided she was going to buy a VW Scirocco, which I don't even know if they still make Scirocco's. But, um, and she went, and then as she was buying the car, her, uh, or right after she bought the car, her phone rang, and it was her agent who said, I have a movie for you, but it's a horror movie. And initially she's like, I don't want to do horror. At this time, nobody of any note was doing horror um, and then she thought to herself, oh, wait, this movie will just pay for my car. I don't care. She thought no one would ever see it. It would sit on a shelf. It would never get released and she'd get a free car out of it. Uh, and so Friday the 13th paid for her VW Scirocco. Yeah. You know, I, I do, I did hear this story. It's one of those like apocryphal, uh, Hollywood stories. Yeah. Yep. So good for her. Yeah. Yeah. She got paid $10,000 to do the whole oh, movie, yeah. uh, and was able to buy that beautiful Scirocco. Nice. Um, in 1980, when the film was going to come out, uh, there was a bidding war over the distribution rights. This was a hot movie um, coming after the success of uh, Halloween in 79. Uh, the studios were really excited to get it in there. Paramount Pictures uh, won the uh, U.S. distribution rights. And what's interesting about this, it's really an independent slasher film. And it was the first to ever be acquired by a major motion picture studio. And given the budget to advertise it and release it nationwide. So the movie cost $500,000 to make, and they spent $500,000 in additional advertisements. So they put a huge amount 
of resources and money behind this. It opened on over 1,000 theaters, um, earned 5.8 million in its opening weekend, uh, and finished domestically with about 40 million. Uh, it was the 18th highest grossing movie that year, um, and um, the worldwide gross was about 60 million. So uh, it, it was it was massively successful. Yeah, um, I read about the bidding war. I thought that was that was kind of interesting. Would Would you say this was the first um, movie of its time, like with or at least of the genre, to encounter something like that? Had this ever had that ever happened before to a horror movie? Well, you know, I think Halloween is sort of a good comparison, but the difference. Um, I, I know we're not watching Halloween for the series. Maybe we'll watch it next year. Um, but that grossed seventy million, one of the most profitable independent films. Um, that was made for even less money than Friday the Thirteenth. Um, and so the the difference is it wasn't distributed by a major studio. That was the difference. So it was a wildly successful low budget horror film. The difference with Friday the Thirteenth is it was actually put out by a major studio. Gotcha. Okay. So it was Paramount and Warner Brothers, right? They were dueling over it. Uh, and United Artists. And, and Par- United Artists. Paramount had the ended up with the U.S. rights. And if I remember, I think Warner Brothers had the international yeah. rights, which was another unique thing about this movie to release it internationally, which wasn't even done for most movies, period, never mind independent horror films. Yeah. So in, in that regard, it kind, of, it, it kind of broke the mold a little bit. Oh, I mean, it, it really, I think, Halloween sort of started it and Friday the 13th finished it. I mean, it really proved that this type of film can be financially successful. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said before, that and Halloween together kind of initiated or or sparked the uh, slasher genre, subgenre within horror horror films uh, and went on to – inspire many of the slasher films that we 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 know today so well that's what's interesting this is the same year the shining came out in and you compare and contrast those movies and the pedigrees and the the histories and these sorts of things um you know it was really breaking the horror genre wide open you like the shining i've never seen it oh okay uh i was i actually i was thinking of some similarities while watching this movie to the to the some some aspects of the shining just just uh the like some of the chase scenes and the camera work and stuff like that yeah well let's let's get into the movie a little bit um i i don't quite know where to start with this one matt is there any aspect you would like to begin with um i mean any any overarching thoughts to begin with or I will say that there were there were some genuine surprises in this movie for me watching it for the first time, um, but a lot of them were kind of ruined by I guess like it's it's a trope that's been done so many times. So for example, like when the two counselors are in the cabin alone together, like you know what's going to happen next. Right. I, I I knew it. I appreciated the like the. Um, I guess it's worth appreciating this as like kind of the trendsetter, the one that started it all. But a lot of the I, I could see going going into the theater in the 1970s and being genuinely surprised by this stuff. Um, 
just like we said about the exorcist last week, how, how something like that would be genuinely terrifying, um, at, in its time and within the, within the context. But, well, yeah, I mean the, the, the gore quote unquote in this movie is so tame compared to go watch a saw movie and you tell me, you know, I mean, you really, you're right. You have to put yourself in the mindset of a 1980s, uh, movie goer. Which this would have been pretty extreme at the time, even though the effects look kind of okay now. We're totally desensitized in in 2019 to much of the effects of uh, something like that. But I think it's important to remember context. I will say Kevin Bacon through the throat still got me. That was cool. (laughs) Yeah. Was that with the arrow? Did he get it with the arrow? Yeah, the arrow tip right up through the neck. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did learn a fun fact about that. particular effect uh the way it worked was it was a rubber body with kevin bacon's head and there was a um a balloon with a pump that pumped the the blood up through it and it was sheep's blood they were using and the way the rig was set up they only had one take to do it they could only ever try it once and what happened is um the uh effects expert who worked on this film whose name i would really like to share because he's incredibly talented um, Savini, Tom Savini. Uh, and so he was under the bed with the hand pump about to pump the blood up once the arrow went through, but a fitting on the pump broke and started spraying blood all over him under the bed. And so to save the shot, he actually took the tube into his mouth and blew the sheep's blood up through the tube and up into Kevin Bacon's neck. And that's the shot you see in the movie. Ah, that's commitment. Very much commitment. Yeah, I was going to say it was, that's a... <laughs> Not everyone would do that. That's a process. Yeah, that's uh, involved. But yeah, wow. Good for him. Yep. You really want to talk about going the extra mile. Uh, really, with a straw, huh? Yeah. Hmm. yeah that's like you- some Mythbusters stuff right there. Good for him. Now... Do you want to go through each of the deaths? Um, okay. Because uh, in this movie, ten people die. If you were keeping track. Uh, yes, I was keeping score at home. I had my my scorecard. Uh, the and, f- uh, first, I believe. I thought it would be a lot higher, but Annie, I believe, is the first. Who uh-huh. never really even gets to develop as a character outside of being very annoying. Or is yeah. that just me? I mean, I think that was that she was just there to establish the the killer that there's a like somebody has to be the sacrificial lamb and and die first to establish that there's some scary stuff happening at this lake and I, and that that was her. So, um, that reminds me, Sean. As we're going through these deaths, have you ever seen Cabin in the Woods? No. Dang. <sighs> We're going to do we, another series of these next year, I think. Okay. Because if we, if I, I mean, I, if I had been thinking of it at the time, I, I just, the movie just totally, uh, skipped my mind, but it, it is one of maybe one of my favorite movies of all time, let alone favorite horror movies of all time. And, but I, I can't, I can't say the things that I want to say, uh, without ruining cabin in the woods, which is one thing I definitely do not want to do. So, okay. um, Moving on. Uh, the, the viewers at home or listeners at home, uh, yeah, if you've seen Cabin in the Woods, you know what I'm talking about. Well, I was going to reference um, 
some of the uh, similarities, I guess you could say, uh, intentional or unintentional. So, so uh, the movie starts in 1958. We see counselors Barry and Claudette uh, sneak into a storage cabin to have sex uh, when they are murdered. Um, they are stabbed and slashed. Um, technically, the first deaths of the film. Fast forward to 22 years later, uh, we have Annie that is in the town. She meets some of the locals who say, you're going to Camp Blood. Uh, and that's when we meet uh, Enos and Crazy Ralph. Um, <laughs> Enos uh, offers to give a ride to the crossroads, but not first uh, without first running into Crazy Ralph. Crazy Ralph. And Crazy Ralph is like the, I, I wish there was a name, there probably is a name for this character, but I didn't, I couldn't find what it, what it was actually called. I tried to look it up. It's like the, you know, the, um, a lot of times when they spoof on, or they riff on this uh, type of character, he's usually like the old main farmer. Yeah. Who's like, oh, a lot of history up there and them hills. Yeah, like, South Park, I think, did a, a great yes, job of that. they did a great homage to it, um, but that that was that's like crazy Ralph. He's like, oh, this the lake is haunted, or the, the you're the, going to camp blood, ain't you? You'll never the, come back again. <laughs> yes, he it's talks got a about death curse. Yeah, and doesn't he go into the story of uh, Jason Voorhees and like the, how he drowned? Or no, is that Enos Enos gives him that. Enos, okay. Um, says here, uh, not you too. You sound like your crazy uh, friend back there, Ralph. And, and Enos says, uh, did Christy ever tell you about the two kids murdered in 58? Boy drowning in 57? Bunch of fires? Nobody knows who did any of them. In 62, they was going to open up. The water was bad. Christy will end up just like his folks, crazy and broke. And goes on and yeah. on. So he goes into the little the little backstory. Um. Is the is the so I know it was filmed in New Jersey. Yes. Is it supposed to take place in New Jersey? Um, Do they ever say, or is it just like Middle America kind of implied? I don't know if they specifically say what town. If you give me a second, I'm happy to look that up. Because then you gotta wonder talking. where Old Ralph is from. If he's like an out of towner, or if he's just from Western New Jersey. Uh, it is located in the fictional town of Crystal Lake in Cunningham County, New Jersey. Okay. Wow, this Wikipedia page is lengthy for Camp Crystal Lake. <laughs> All right. So so um, Amy gets to the camp. She arrives at, at, at the lake, rather. And uh, this is where she meets the... Wait, who are you talking other? about? Um, not Amy. Um, Annie. The, Annie. Annie. Well, Annie, she never yeah. makes it to the... She never makes it to the camp. She's supposed to be the cook, but she never makes it to the camp. She's intercepted by our mysterious killer in the Jeep that looks oh, identical that's right. yes, to that's right. um, I was Steve's getting Annie Jeep. mixed with mixed up with Amy. Yeah, there is no Amy in the movie. Um, Annie and Amy. There is no Amy in the movie. Are you sure about that? There's no character name. There's Alice, who's the main woman. Alice. Okay. I. I yes. She looked like an Amy to me. Uh, and so we get to the camp. We meet the counselors. Starting with Ned, who is sort of the dorky, goofy one, uh, played by Mark Nelson. We also meet uh, Jack, who is played by the always uh, good-looking Kevin Bacon. We have uh, Bill, 
who is sort of the uh, strong, classy one, played by Harry Crosby, Bing Crosby's son, actually. Uh, Marcy Cunningham, uh, Brenda Jones, and Alice Hardy, along with the owner of the camp, Steve Christie. Right. Um, I thought that uh, Ned, the nerdy one, I thought yes. he, he the actor did a good job. I thought I, I, I appreciated his acting skills in this movie. Do we want to start talking about acting? Because I do can we? talk about acting. Yeah, I think okay. we do. Here's 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 my opinion on the acting in this movie. I loved every adult in this movie, and I hated every adolescent teen counselor. I did not like oh. any of the teens. Maybe Alice gets Sean, a little I bit. I think I was the exact opposite. Oh, really? We finally, no, stop we that. We finally have a real debate about this. Stop that. Yeah. The we adults were great in this movie. They were they were okay. They just seemed like they were caricatures. They were playing like oh, over but the, they were but the sexy over the camp top. teens weren't. A little over the top. Yeah, I didn't think. I, I thought they were more natural. Oh, that's insane. They were so overreading their lines. I, I completely disagree. I think that Bing Crosby's son did a great job. I, I was surprised to learn that that was Bing Crosby's son. Like, yeah. How random is that? Yep. No, I think Kevin Bacon barely talked in the movie. It's, it's almost like that book you recommended, um, Horns. I started reading that book. And I, but I totally forgot that the author was Stephen King's, King's son. son. Yeah. Until I looked it up, and I, I was like surprised to learn that all over again. Yeah. I know it's something that that we had talked about on a previous episode, and when we did our book recommendations for the summer reading. Um. But I, I, yeah, I looked it up. I was like, "What the hell? He's what? He's Stephen King's son? What? Um, because he's got a different name. He's, yeah. He's uh, his last name is is Hill, I think, right? Yes. Joe Hill. Joe Hill. Yeah. That's the name he goes by. So. Yeah, I was I was just one of those things. But um I thought the the kids I was a fan of them. I thought that they did a great job acting in this movie. I, I don't know I don't know. No, they did a good job being killed. That was kind of their chief activity in the film. That was they what they right. That's what they were there look, for. We'll get to Mrs. Voorhees, who is by far the best character in the movie. Um and it's a shame she's only in the last fifteen minutes of it. But I loved Enos the truck driver. I loved Crazy Ralph. I loved my unsung hero of the movie is Motorcycle Cop. Do you remember Motorcycle Cop? Motorcycle Cop. Who is in a very short scene and he pulls up long enough to harass the kids, including my favorite interaction, which I will now reenact for you, where he's talking with Kevin Bacon and he said, what you been smoking, boy? And Kevin Bacon says, smoking, don't smoke, causes cancer. And then the officer goes, you know what I mean? What, did you just get off a spaceship or something? Come on, Colombian gold, man, grass, hash, the weed, dig it? <laughs> I, I just, I love that. Colombian grass, what, what other things does he call it? Colombian gold, man, grass, Columbian hash, the weed, gold. dig it? Dig it? Just harassing these uh, supposed so it's, hippies. It's like the... The movie had to it had to establish that it was in the seventies in case we forgot. Basically, this is this is, this is the seventies. That was right about like, the time Ned was doing his offensive Indian dance, and he says, "I told you to sit on it, Tonto." So I want to, yeah, I actually want to highlight uh, the both of the things you said. Uh, in should I? I, I don't want to get too far away no? from our our path, but one of the themes I had was um, this was kind of the beginning of the Reagan years. Like when this movie came out, sure, and and it, like this like rethinking of family values, which we see at the end very much so with with Mrs. Voorhees, um, and the uh, like, um, 
I guess, controlled substance movement or, or, or antis just say no to drugs movement. Mm-hmm. So the, the cop with his, with his lingo, uh, very much fit in with this movie. Uh, and you had the, uh, yeah, the sit on it. Tons. It was, it was like almost like a callback to 1950s riffing. Yeah. I the, guess the, the stiff cop. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. The, uh, that kind of like beat cop kind of thing so uh it was a yeah it's a big it's a big overall theme in this movie um i called it uh like family values conservatism meets real world horror something like that yep yeah this so, is where he's a the, the a very conservative mm. um yeah so uh it's at this point they cavort around the camp um, we learned about their relationships with one another. It's all boring and nobody cares. I wrote in my notes, uh, I'm 20 <laughs> minutes in and I'm ready for the horny teens to die was what I wrote. Cause it honestly, yeah, you know, it did, it did go a little too long. I, I, I admit that too. A, it was a later like, note I wrote is the weird thing is it takes so long to get started and yet is only 90 minutes. Like yeah. nothing, you, you get past the halfway point before anyone starts really dying. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it doesn't happen right out of the gate. That's very this could true. have been a short film, not a full film, but nonetheless, um, the uh, oh, I also wrote here. Except for the deaths, it seems like a pretty great camp. I would stay there. Seems like fun. Yeah, a mm-hmm. lake, and they had uh, an archery range, and uh, yeah. So uh, a big storm comes, a big rainstorm, and we encounter our first death, which actually we don't see on screen. Uh, it's Ned. Uh, unfortunately, is the first to die. Our dorky friend, he gets his throat slashed and left on the top bunk. Uh, yeah. After that, Jack and Marcy go to have sex on one of the cabin's bunk beds underneath Ned's body. Um, right, and they don't know that he's dead. It, they don't know he's up there. Marcy, they, they don't have even sex. know that he's there. We mm-hmm. don't. We see a, a slight bit of nipple, but we really don't see that's much. The, that's the uh, that's the arrow scene, right? That's the yeah. So Marcy goes to leave to use the bathroom, and at that point, Kevin Bacon's neck is impaled. Well, first the, the blood arrow. drips on his face from above, which is pretty cool, uh, and he wipes it away. He's like, "Huh, what's that?" And then it comes up through his neck, which I definitely think is the best best death of the movie. Yeah, I would agree. With I think you that, that effect I mean, works great. I actually really like the Mrs. Voorhees one at the end, but. But the, the, both are both are very good. Not to not to get too far into spoilers at this point. But. Well, I mean, again, as you point out, the movie is nearly forty years old. So yeah, it's up there. We will spoil it. Um, and so Jack's throat is pierced with the arrow. Uh, the killer then follows Marcy into the bathroom, uh, where she gets an axe to the face. Right. Um. At that point, uh. Brenda then hears a child's voice calling for help, ventures out to the archery range um, where the lights turn on uh, and she disappears for a while. Uh, Steve returns from town. He gets stabbed. Um, All these things are happening very quickly. Um, We don't quite know how Brenda dies. She's kind of just thrown in the window. Bill gets his throat slashed with a hunting knife and impaled with multiple arrows. Uh, People are just dying left and right, Matt. Hmm. It's, uh, yeah, this is, this is the part of the movie that's a bloodbath. Yeah, I mean, bodies just keep popping up left and right. It's pretty aggressive. Uh, but it all leaves Alice as sort of the lone character. Right. The sole um, survivor. 
she is the the sole survivor and um i remember watching the movie and i mean i knew that she was gonna survive because I, I feel i felt like she had to it was it's just that that kind of trope but i but i i remember thinking like if if i was in the movie theater like there's a there's a good chance like you know she doesn't make it out of this i i might be on the edge of my seat here oh absolutely Absolutely. Yeah. I, that's when I think the I think after everyone dies is when the movie really revs into gear, frankly, because the deaths are, you know, we talked last week about the exorcist being so good at pacing, ramping up and breaking, ramping up and breaking. And this movie just sort of plods along with the deaths. I mean, yeah, there's some tension to them, but it's like it's just like dead, 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 dead. There's nothing really breaking up the deaths because they yeah. just come one right after another in succession. Um, are you saying in, uh, just in general, you would have paced it a little bit differently? No, it's not that I would have done it differently. It's just, I like the kind of contrast with the exorcist and it's that, you know, again, the way the movie is set, my favorite part of the movie is the end. It's Mrs. Voorhees. It's her fighting with Alice. It's her being crazy. It's Alice surviving at the end. It's all that. That's my favorite part of the movie. And unfortunately, the way it's structured is to have a twist like that. That has to be the last 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah. You know, she, I would have a tremendous job with the reveal. I thought, Oh my God, let's talk about. So Alice, all of her friends are dead. There's no phone. There's no power. She's in the middle of the woods and out comes a Jeep and out comes this middle-aged woman in a blue sweater who says she's Mrs. Voorhees. She's a friend of the owners of the Christie's. And she hugs her at first, and Alice is a little concerned, but she doesn't know. And then slowly it's revealed Mrs. Voorhees is insane. And I there's I have in here the exact the long quote she gives, which I really like and will read once I can find it here on the page. Did you know a young boy drowned the year before those two others were killed? The counselors weren't paying any attention. They were making love while that young boy drowned. His name was Jason. I was working the day that happened, preparing meals. Here, I was the cook. Jason should have been watched every minute. He was... He wasn't a very good swimmer. And that's sort of his, uh... Sort of her big quote. She says it more dramatically than that. But, um... And then she goes on to try and kill Alice. Uh, mm. And then she does that insane thing where she's like... Where she is Jay, Kill her, mommy! Kill her! Don't let her get away, mommy. That was great. Yeah, Which is that was creepy. So good. It was very good. Very creepy, though. Yeah. You let uh, him drown. You never paid any attention. Look what you did to him. She did. A, she did. Really did a good job. It, she did. It's bananas. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it, chases her all around the delivery. camp. Keeps trying to kill her. I wasn't sure when they were chasing each other around who was doing a crappier job because nobody like I feel like Alice could have done a better job of hiding and I feel like Mrs. Voorhees could have better job of just finishing her off. I do challenge that Mrs. Voorhees could have killed all those other people. Um, I guess we don't really want to get into the logistics of it, but um, I don't think physically she could have pulled off all of those murders. No, but it's a movie. It's a movie. So it's like uh and and also there's a, there's isn't there also a little bit of I don't know like speculation because there, he in the sequel it's like 
Jason is doing all the murders. Like the yes, the Jason is alive. Ghost of, yeah, he's alive and he's doing all like. But that so was maybe definitely. He, so do you think he helped in this movie? Or? No. To be crystal clear, the mm. director or the writer—I don't know if it was the writer or director of the movie—said the scene at the end with Alice in the boat and Jason comes up is a dream, and they never had any intention of Jason being alive or part of the movie or franchise in any way. Okay. So that's a that's like a voice of God thing, like literally the creator. Yes, they weren't has, involved has in any deemed... of the sequels, and they were just as surprised okay. as anyone else that Jason became the focus of the franchise. I, I thought it was more like left open to interpretation that you didn't know if it was if that was a dream or if like I mean I, I assumed it was or some kind of delusion. I, I mean I think it's the film is made in a way, but they've said their opinion is that he's not yeah. alive. Um. Well, and so that, then it is all, it is her doing and that, all And that scene at the end, and, and we'll circle back to it, but th that scene at the end was added in, like, the last revision of the draft. It was added at the last minute. Um, it wasn't intended to be a part of the movie all along. Mm. So, oh, going back to the the reveal of Mrs. Voorhees as, yes. as the killer. Uh the 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 backstory that kind of ties in with what I think is the central theme of the movie, the idea of um, these camp counselors acting irresponsibly, um, like outside of social norms mm -hmm. by choosing to go off on their own instead of their, like honoring their responsibility, which was to watch the kids. It, it, it connects back to that very Reaganist conservatism of the day of doing one's duty uh of serving one's society in the way that they are trained to do so uh like kind of dereliction of duty and that this leads to the central conflict in the movie um it's very much a product of its era this uh uh, uh this film so um uh, that's part of what I like about horror movies. A lot of the times the themes under the surface are very emblematic of the time period in which they are introduced. Oh, sure. Sure. Um, we saw last week with The Exorcist, uh, Demonic Possession. Um, it was an era when, um, you know, after the revolutions, the cultural revolutions of the 1960s, um, it, it was a, a time period when um, trust in the supernatural, if you will, or tr or maybe just specifically trust in the church was, mm -hmm. was waning. Um, it was a time when uh, I think social norms were changing and uh, the kind of they were moving into this new way of doing things and this new age and forgetting about traditions and the, and the old way of doing things. And, it was kind of like the repercussions or the consequences of that, right? And and uh, and th this to to tie this the the two of them together, uh, you see a lot of the same thing. It's like the the social norms changing. Um, the, the, you know, the kids are are going off and having fun. They ignore their duty to save this kid, and it results in all these this bloodbath and murder. So. Well, and I, I think part of it, to circle to one of the things I enjoyed about the movie in terms of how it was made, was the fact that the killer had a POV shot, right? You don't see Mrs. Voorhees as the killer. You see through the killer's eyes. It's very voyeuristic. Um, 
it's very much spying on these teens doing inappropriate things at the wrong time. Um, and I think that's that's part of it, uh, as you mentioned, sort of the, the society watching and judging uh, what these folks are doing. That That's the point of view you're looking at. I like that. Yeah, I, I was I was equating that voyeurism to like Cold War paranoia. But I, I like your I definitely like your assessment better. So it's society peering in on uh, what what's going on. Yeah, and it and takes on a different it takes it. on a different feel once you know it's Mrs. Voorhees the whole time. Yeah. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also just, it by the way, a cool way to make a movie. I mean, it's, you know, to w- w- again, now it seems like a bit of a novelty. But back then, when you have the camera switch to the point of view and the characters are so close to the killer, but you can't see the killer makes for some really great moments as it sort of like approaches a window and there's a character inside and you're like, holy shit, they're about to get murdered. And then it cuts to the regular shot inside and you're like, you know, the killers out there. It's giving you sort of more perspectives on what's going on, I think makes for a more engaging film. Yeah. Um, Mrs. Voorhees, uh, they fight a bunch. Uh, they get to the beach. There's a big fight. Uh, Alice gets her hands on a machete and cuts her head clean off. Yeah, that for me was the coolest. I think that's the coolest death. The arrow through the throat, it was neat. It was unexpected and and novel, but the machete part was, I just thought it was. My issue with the head, the reason I like the Kevin Bacon one is because it looked really good. The thing with the head, the head chopping off, it, it doesn't look good. It's not a good effect. Yeah, but it was it was cool though. I mean, it you was. Admit. It also happens it cool? very fast. Yeah. And also, it's like I believe someone could push an arrow through a human being's throat. I don't think, like, like literally physics wise, if I had a machete, I would have the strength to cut your head off. I I actually don't no. think that's possible. But it, that's that's just the it's horror movie. I know, but the rest of the movie it takes action. place in a reality. Yeah. It was just it, is cool. it was just a cool moment. I mean, you you'd be surprised the strength that people can find in moment the you know moment the, the most dire of moments. True, you know, you hear those stories of those like mothers being able to lift up buses and stuff. So you never know that adrenaline kicks in. That machete might have been real sharp too. You know, I do. I did rewind that scene a couple times because mm-hmm. I didn't quite understand what I was seeing, and then I had oh shit, <laughs> she cut her head off. Yeah. Um. Which was pretty cool. Mrs. Voorhees is killed. Alice is stunned. She gets in a boat and goes out to the middle of the lake. Yep. And then it becomes morning. She has a dream or a vision, I guess you could say, of of, uh, a a body coming up, like a hand reaching out and, and getting into the boat. And it's Jason. He's alive and he wants revenge. And then it turns out to just be a dream. Yeah, can we talk about how Jason is like weirdly mutated for some reason and looks like a monster? I thought I just thought that was like he his body had decomposed because he was in the lake for a long time. The but, the the explanation for that, if you're curious, um, is that it was originally just going to be the guy coming out of the water just normally looking normal, and then they're like, "Oh, we have this like award winning, super good special effects guy." I, I don't know, just make him up into let's something. Let's make him look like a like a creepy seaweed seaweed guy. And that's yeah. literally what it was. There was no thought into why he looked that way, other than eh, just make him into something. Yeah, they were having fun. That's yeah, what, we I, were all what I have fun. to say. I think that the directors of this movie, it seems like they had a lot of fun. 
Whereas the director of The Exorcist, no, was I don't think have I don't think anybody was having fun while they're anyone in any shape or form while they were making that movie. Nope. So nope. I don't think he was having fun. I don't think the actors were having fun. No, that movie did not scream fun. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and but of was, course. Great movie, though. Jason jumps out of the water, tries to kill her. That's when she sort of wakes up in the hospital uh, after all the murders have been done. Um, the officer is there. She says, um, I would like to find the last line of the movie if I could, but I'm scrolling around. I'm looking for it somewhere in here in this long list. Um you would think the quotes on IMDb would be in order in which they're said in the movie, you know, like the first quotes, but they're not. They're just in a completely there, random there order. There is no, yeah, there's no order. So here there's we go. The last lines of the movie, uh, Alice says, the boy, is he dead too? And the cop says, who? Alice says, the boy, Jason. Jason, in the lake, the one, the one who attacked me, the one who pulled me underneath the water. And the cop goes, ma'am, we didn't find any boy. And then Alice basically to the camera says, but then he's still there. And then cut to the calm lake in the credits roll. Yeah, that's that's why I thought it was it was supposed to be left ambiguous. I I agree that it is. I think the movie is meant to be mm-hmm. left ambiguous, but that's not what was in the heads of the people making it. Yeah. Now, I thought that was a weird, bizarre, and unnecessary ending. Now they say they put it in because they felt there had to be one last scare at the end of the movie. I don't disagree with that logic necessarily, but it doesn't it undercut the whole movie that Mrs. Voorhees goes on a multi-decade killing spree to avenge the death of her son who wasn't dead? Yeah, well, I was I was going to say it. It uh it can, it not that leaves, this movie has a lot of logic, it, it, but like, so where's Jason away, been all these years? Yeah, it, it takes away from from the, the you know the the action that just happened. But I guess they needed a better way to resolve it other than Mrs. Voorhees is dead. And I don't know. I think I they like, would have been fine. I thought that because I didn't realize that was the end of the movie. I thought when she was like in the boat and the cops pulled up, I thought that's when the credits were going to start rolling. And I'm like, that's an acceptable way to end this movie. I would have been fine with that. Yeah, that would have been fine. I, 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 I get the need to like have just like one last scare at the end and and spook everybody. But the way that they did it, it does seem like it, like it, it undersold everything that had just happened with, well, with the, the murders and everything. And it's, and it's, again, it's just this thing of like the boy drowned in the fifties. How is he still a boy? Like the, the logic doesn't make, not that this movie is full of it, but it does make sense on some level, right? It's plausible. Unlikely, but plausible. And then you have like seaweed Jason monster mutated guy coming out of the lake. Why? Also, right. I mean, not to get too scientific about this because it is just a movie, but um, dead bodies float, right? Yeah. So they probably would have fished him out of the lake, presumably, unless he was like caught on something. That's true. And, they never and, say the his mom body wasn't that found. She, but the, yeah, they never say the body wasn't found and the mom knows that he drowned. So therefore, I would assume that they recovered a body. Well, how would he even know how to kill her? Lake, then? Like Mrs. Voorhees knows the camp is being reopened. Like she has motive. Like how does Jason even know why she's in the lake? Has he been watching this whole time? Maybe he was watching from the uh, maybe he was watching the movie in his underwater. I, I, 
it's just such a stupid thing. Yeah, it, it, it was just, it was weird. I, I thought that part was weird. I didn't like it. I uh, did not like that part. Um, but I again, I don't know how how else you could have ended it other than just the shot of the lake other than just to end on it. the boat. Um, Hell, I would have liked Mrs. Voorhees' headless body coming up out of the lake. That would have been cooler. Oh yeah, they could have done that, or they they could have had the like the head lands on the boat and then the body comes up looking for and it. And she like reattaches the head. Oh, that would have been perfect. And then she like stares, like gives like a terrifying stare. I would have, I would have. Oh, and her head spins around like an exorcist. And I you know equating this back to the exorcist that was the my other big question about mrs Voorhees, by the way which is so we know jason drowns in 57 right she kills the two counselors in 58 right we assume um yeah i think it, i think yeah that's that's the that's the i confirmed that when i was reading up on yeah, it. yeah. Well, it, which makes sense i don't know like else next year yeah then Enos says in 62 they were going to open up but the water went bad so you assume she poisoned the water in some way Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it says um, there were a bunch of fires, which is kind of vague. But I'm like, what was Mrs. Voorhees up to between 1962 and 1980? Like for the last decade when the camp was banned, did she like have a day job? And they'd be like, oh, no, I got to quit. Sorry, I got to go kill all these people. <laughs> at these camp-. Like, what does she do when she's not getting revenge? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I would love like a prequel movie of like what Mrs. Voorhees is up to. Does she yeah. like go to other summer camps <laughs> and avenge other kids who have died? Like I don't. What is her? Yeah, what's her like day to day look like? I need I need some backstory. It was weird. Hmm. Yeah, very weird. Uh, right, because she she's driving around in this van and or this uh this this like truck, right? It's like a whatever. She's driving around like. What is what is she up to when she's not plotting revenge or, or murdering these kids? Well, uh, Pamela Voorhees has her whole Wikipedia page. Oh, uh, wow. All it says is that Pamela lived in a house which bordered Camp Crystal Lake. So she was keeping an eye on it, but it doesn't say what her career was. Yeah, how was oh, she it getting... Says, it says <laughs> her Wikipedia page under information because it's got like who portrayed it and all this stuff and it says family jason Voorhees, son okay and it says classification camp cook and vengeful mass murderer yeah we never get a shot of her as the camp cook like a flashback would have been cool uh, yeah yeah yeah. or, or just that would have been it would have been enough to establish like that's what she does that's how she makes money it could have been cool because it would have been like a subtle like nobody would ever expect it she could have been like warm and and like, hey, have some more, uh, you know, uh, uh, mincemeat pie, or uh, have another have another helping of the uh, cream corn. And then like she's like a nice camp camp lady, and you would never expect. I don't know, maybe is that too like Scooby Doo? A little like bit. The one, one you least expect. A little bit. Yeah. Um, but I, um, I will say that Pamela Voorhees does make an appearance in later Friday the Thirteenth movies. I don't know if you know this. Um, her head makes a reappearance in part two. Um, that might have been the one I saw. I do remember him carrying around like a head. Yep. And I thought that was just somebody he killed and he was just like carrying it around. That's the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. He, kill, he kills somebody with the head, I think. He like smashes it into somebody, if I remember. Yeah, I don't remember. But that might have been the one that I had seen and thought it was actually just the regular Friday the 13th. Yep. Because he comes out of the lake and stuff and yeah. But... Yeah. 
Um, it, it is interesting. You mentioned the very beginning of the, of the episode that the, the movie really doesn't have much to do with the concept, like its own title. Like, I, I guess all of this happened on Friday the 13th, but, or, or did, or was that the date that he drowned? No, that there is a, no, there is a little Chiron at the bottom when Annie first enters the town. It says Friday the 13th. Yeah. And then I don't know if it says Crystal Lake or it says something else with it. So that's the only setup we get. It's not like there's no like lore that's like every Friday the thirteenth. No, 13th. no, no, no. Yeah, other other than that yeah. great three D block title that smashes through the glass at you. No, it's it's never mentioned. It's uh yeah, it's it's just a, it's just it's a good title. So it is a good title. I mean, I don't know what else you would call it, like Mystery of the Lake or well, I think Camp Crystal Lake, Lake could horror, probably make a good Camp title. Camp Crystal Lake, yeah. Okay. Well, like I said, the original was uh oh shit, and I just closed the page, but the original title was not um, was not called Friday the Thirteenth. It was really called A Long Night at Camp Blood, which is a terrible title. Yeah, yeah, that would have been awful. Um, Matt, any uh, any last thoughts on Friday the Thirteenth? I've got just a couple side notes. Oh, let's let's do your side notes. Um, I wrote the dialogue, and this is truly terrible. I also wrote <laughs> strip monopoly is not and never will be a thing. <laughs> How um, does that work? Which How does that work? Well, they so they they do loosely explain it, which is instead of paying rent, you take off a piece of clothing. But I'm like, you would be naked so fast because all right, you do right. is pay it, rent in that I, game. Or is it just when you're out of money? That's what you resort to. And in, in that case, you'd be playing for like five hours before. <laughs> I mean, Monopoly is the least before fun game normally. Never mind strip Monopoly. Yeah. That's, and then as they say, a- uh, as Bill says, no one ever lands on Baltic Avenue, which is which is actually true. Baltic Avenue is Baltic Avenue the. It is one of the least landed on spaces on the board. Yeah, I, I did hear it. it was either Baltic or Mediterranean. Do you know what color is most landed on on a Monopoly board? It's the, the red. It section. is the red. Hey, look at this smart guy. Um, Personally, I'm a big fan of the oranges. I like the orange section. That's the one orange I always is good. Forget. Orange is good. Pink is is bad. Light blue's bad. You kind of want to be yellow's bad. good. You kind of want to be pink is bad because that's right in front of the jail. Yes, and you go you, right over it. Go right over it when you try when you get doubles. So you don't yep. want that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to talk for a second about the music in the movie and the iconic um, sound effect, which I've somehow gotten through fifty minutes of not doing. Um, but of course, that is there is there a problem with your mic, Sean? Does it <laughs> sounds like it keeps cutting cutting out. Sorry, I had something in my throat. Oh, okay. Um, Yes, no, uh, that famous sound effect. Do you know the uh, origin of that sound effect, Matt? No. Oh. It's not something I ever really thought to look up, but well, I, I would definitely like to know. Most people think it's cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha, but it's not. Specifically, uh, the uh, musician who created it, um, of course, Mrs. Voorhees says, kill him, mommy, kill him. And he liked that phrase, so he actually took the K-I from kilk, and he took the M-A from Ma, mother, ma, and that's what he used for the sound. He went, he went, kill, 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 ma, 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 and that's oh. actually how the sound effect goes. So if you're ever trying to reproduce it, that's the if you and you listen in the film, you can hear it, kill, 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 ma, 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 ma. It sounds like the beginning of Safety Dance a little bit. No, 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 the S S S S A A A. Yeah, spelling out safety, 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 dance, dance. Yeah, so that's where that comes from. Um, an iconic, uh, an iconic part of it. Do you know how to do the safety dance? 
Is there a dance uh, you know, that goes along with it? There I, isn't really. Like in the video, he just kind of does like an arm motion a bunch of times. How to do this? Looks, it looks like he's high fiving somebody in the air, but that's how I always thought the safety dance went. Oh, there is. Uh, there are Wikipedia pay or uh, YouTube videos on how to do the safety dance. Because they don't explain it, and it's not one of those dances that can just be explained, like the twist. Okay. Do you want to know what the safety dance is about? I know this is totally off topic, but this is what it's about? fascinating. Yeah. Well, what they what? Yes. What it is? What? What's the song about? Well, let's see. You can dance if you want to. You can leave your friends. You'll behind. never guess because your friends don't dance, and if they don't dance, then they ain't no friends of mine. So I'm assuming it's about wanting to dance. Yeah, you're sort of right, but you'll never get the details. Is it about drugs? Don't tell me it's about drugs. No, the writer lead singer explained that the safety dance is a protest against bouncers prohibiting dancers from pogoing to 1980s new wave music in clubs when disco was dying and new wave was up and coming. New wave dancing, specifically pogoing, was different from disco dancing because it was done individually instead of with partners and involved holding the torso rigid and thrashing about. To uninformed bystanders, this could look dangerous, especially if pogoers accidentally bounced into one another. Uh, the more deliberately violent evolution of pogoing is slam dancing. The bouncers did not like pogoing, oh. so they would tell pogoers to stop or be kicked out of the club. Thus, the song is a protest and a call for freedom of expression. Everyone's taking a chance. Now it makes sense because you're yeah. taking a chance when you pogo dance. Yes, which... Everybody look at your hands. <laughs> That's my favorite line in the whole song. And now I'm on the Pogo Dance Wikipedia page, which says the basic steps allow for a variety of interpretations. Pogo dancers have their choice of keeping their torsos rigid or thrashing them about, holding their arms stiffly at their sides or flailing them, keeping their legs together or kicking out, jumping straight up and down, jumping in any direction or spinning in the air. So it's like a cross between moshing and being on mushrooms is what it's I'm It's much hearing. softer than moshing. Okay. It became moshing and slam dancing later. Gotcha. This is that's interesting. I never knew that. That was that's an interesting origin story to the safety dance. Yeah. You can walk away saying the you more learn you know. The more you know. The more you know. Uh, cool. Any other thoughts on Friday the Thirteenth? No, did I you like? Just did you like the movie? It. Would you say you liked the movie? I did. Overall, I did like the movie. I liked the twist. Um, I, I'm a big twist fan, so. Um, this, I thought this was a really good, well done. I like the acting, Mrs. Voorhees acting. I know you disagree with me, but I think that the, the teens did a great job too. Um, I liked the movie overall. I did. Yeah. This was a good one. Good I, I, I agree. Pick. I liked the last 20 minutes more so than the first 70 minutes. Um, but I did think it had charm and in the seventies, I'm sure it was much more, or the eighties, I'm sure it was much more appealing than, uh, it was for us, but, uh, but I'm glad we watched it. Um, and Matt, we've got a very exciting movie next week. Do you want to tell the people what we'll be watching? Um, if my calculations are correct, um, which I'm sure they're not because I, I, I don't know. Is it, I'm, I might be totally wrong. We're fast forwarding totally... to 1984. Okay. I was going to be wrong. I'm glad I didn't say what I, what I said then. Uh, wh what are we watching? Oh, uh, we're going to be watching the iconic slasher film directed by Wes Craven, a nightmare on Elm street. Okay. I, I jumped the gun. I thought we were going to the, the one after that, the one, my pick. Um, but nope. we're, we, we were doing chronological. We've got one so, more to go. Uh, indeed. actually, actually Matt, we have another one of my picks before we get to your picks. So I think you're, yeah. Nightmare on Elm. Oh, your third pick. Yeah. 
Oh, you picked some. You picked all the old school. No, okay. so we're going to Scream in '93, and then we go to Blair Witch. That's right. Um, what year was Blair Witch? '99. Was it? Was it that late? Wow. Okay. Yeah, because it right. used the internet pretty heavily, which wouldn't have been particularly around. That's in right. That's right. They did. They did. They the viral marketing. Yep. Okay. Um. Yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh. Very exciting. Big success. Another big franchise. And Matt, do you know what in this? Because uh. In Friday the 13th, we had Kevin Bacon, uh, a huge star in a small movie. Do you know what huge star appears in A Nightmare on Elm Street? His first film credit? You got me. Johnny Depp. Oh, Johnny Depp. Yeah, All something right. to look forward to as we watch Wow. It. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so that'll be fun. So join us next week as we watch and check that out. Um, but that's going to do it for this uh, episode, I think. What a, what a treat it's been. Uh, before we get to the part where I tell you about where you can get the show, which you probably already know because you're watching or listening to this, um, I always tease our show on Don't Panic, and I feel it's not nice that I don't tease Don't Panic on this show. <laughs> so, people should go check out Don't Panic. If you like this podcast, you'll like that podcast. We actually did spend some time talking about Halloween and spooky stuff this past week, but we also talked about tech news like we do every week, and we had some really cool insights on the new AirPod Pros we talked about. Um, what else did we talk about? Oh, we talked about McDonald's, Matt, getting big into, they're buying technology companies. Soon. I don't, I don't want to live in this world, this, this reality. They're already in. Can we go back? Can we like go back to, I'll, I'll take like 2015. That was fine. Can we just go back? Like, this is getting kind of scary. It only gets worse. Believe it or not, Matt, at some McDonald's locations, they're testing using license plate readers to read the license plate on your car and then automatically generate with AI menu suggestions to come up on the digital boards in front of your car at the drive-thru. And they purchased a AI voice company, which could soon replace human beings at the speakers with a voice-activated robot that takes your order instead of a human being. It's pretty exciting. This is... This is not good. None of this, none of what I just heard was good. I mean, Matt, they won't be saying, would you like fries with that? They're going to be saying, would you like a microchip with that? Would you like fries with that number one, seven, seven, one, one, two? You have been no. charged three human <laughs> credits. Uh, yeah. So uh, it, it, I, I bet people, people are going to be like rude to these voice, these like robot. They'll be like, oh, you, you like you dumbass robot. Yeah. Well, someone like the the reporter who wrote the New York Times article, like tested it out as part of the story. And mm -hmm. one of the things that happened was they ordered. They ordered like a sandwich and fries and the and the robot like knew to, oh, if you buy it as a combo, you'll get a soda included. And she's like, no, I don't want the soda. And the computer was like confused why she wouldn't want the soda. (laughs) But that is illogical. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Does not compute. Uh, that's how you defeat them that's yeah. how we're how we're gonna reclaim our our world is, but it's such a good deal yeah log- logical paradoxes yep <laughs> so if you would like more of this discussion check out don't panic uh at don'tpanic.io or search for don't panic wherever you get podcasts it's the big red button icon you can't miss it uh as for this show up for debate.tv is our website go there get all the past episodes uh there and of course subscribe wherever you get podcasts the video version on youtube as well and of course you can get a hold of us at up for debate tv on twitter or up for debate tv at gmail.com send us a note let us know what horror films you'd like us to watch next year we'll add them to the list who knows um 
But that's going to wrap it up here. We'll see you next time for some Nightmare on Elm Street. But until then, I'm Sean. He's Matt. Thanks for joining us. This has been a Coffee and Beer production, executive produced by Matt Mariani and Sean Jennings. To learn more, visit coffeeandbeer.tv.